Well, good morning, everyone. Kevin, thank you for that reminder of the need to uh, mingle and to uh, be hospitable and to say hello. Uh, But just for my friends up in the central northeast corner, let's not all go crazy at the same time, okay? I don't handle change that well. We are uh, in a four-part series on uh, Eastern Lent, around Eastern Lent, that under the cover of Reborn, but the specific title that we've been looking at is Making Way for the King. Kevin kicked it off two weeks ago, and he talked about making way for the cross. Last week, Brian spoke about the Jesus yoke, and he had images that were quite vibrant in as he described it. Next week is Easter. Kevin is speaking on a title that says, I'm with him. I don't know what he's going to talk about, but just the title on Easter morning excites me. It brings emotion to me to be able to say on Easter morning, I'm with him. Wonderful title. I can't wait. This week, uh, we are in the third part, and the title this morning is uh, A Faith That Walks on Water. And of course, this morning, as you've already heard, is Palm Sunday. It's a wonderful time that we celebrate. Remember the image and the story Jesus is entering Jerusalem. The crowds have been gathering around Jesus, throngs of people. The sense that Jesus was their king had been building and building until he enters Jerusalem on a donkey. And people are lying the streets. They say Jerusalem was stirred by his presence. And the palm trees, palm branches were being laid down in front of him and waved and so on. I wanted to say that that's a picture of a palm tree... But it isn't even close, so I can't fake it. I looked it up, and palm tree kind of looks like a corn stalk starting out of the ground. And so we have this image of Jesus' triumphal entry. But of course, the people were waiting for a physical king. They thought, finally, Jesus Christ is the one who's going to save us from the Romans and from the suffering that they had been going through. We know that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem as the beginning of a fulfillment of a promise since the beginning of time, that he was going to suffer. He was going to have a horrific week that we remember this week of suffering and humiliation. And ultimately, on the darkest day that the world has seen and ever known, Jesus took all of the sins of the world, yours and mine, onto himself, forsaken by his Father. He was crucified and died on the cross. And was buried. And next Sunday, we celebrate his resurrection. We celebrate that we love and we adore and we follow a resurrected and living king. So what a better time than Palm Sunday to celebrate making way for the king. But it's not making a physical way for the king. It's making a spiritual way for the king. Making way for the king in our lives. And we're going to do so this morning looking at a very familiar passage to many of you as Jesus and Peter walk on water. But first I want to ask you perhaps a rhetorical question. If you've ever been in a situation where perhaps somebody's asking you or you're witnessing your faith to them or maybe even the beginning of a conversation and you're at that point in time where you sort of have to label who you are or what you are or what you believe in. 
And here in the church, we would often say, well, we're Christians. But as you think of that label, you think, okay, well, there's 2.2 billion Christians in the world. Anybody who's been born generations of families into kind of Christian faith is considered a Christian. So you think, well, that's not going to describe it that well. So you immediately think, I'm going to say I'm a born-again Christian, which is accurate. It's a good description of who we are. But you know from experience, if you say, oh, I'm a born-again Christian, you're going to see their eyes glaze over a little bit on you. So you're thinking, you know, maybe evangelical Christian, evangel, the good news of Jesus Christ, also so accurate. You might use that. You might say, I'm a believer. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Or I'm a person of deep faith. None of those are right necessarily or wrong necessarily. But I want to look at these last two. I'm not going to give you the answer, what's the best way, obviously, for you to have that conversation. But I do want us to look at the last two that I've mentioned. Being a believer and a person of deep faith. They're complementary. They're both correct. Are they identical? I don't think so. See, I'm a believer. For over 30 years, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He walked on this earth for a point and a purpose of fulfillment to God's promise. As the Son of God, while he taught us and gave us scripture, ultimately, as we think of this week, he suffered and died. He took the sins of the world. He took your sin and my sin upon himself, was crucified, died. Sunday morning, we will celebrate. He resurrected. We adore a risen king. He is my Lord and Savior. When I confess my sins, I stand righteous before God. The Holy Spirit indwells me. I believe all these things without a shadow of a doubt. Without a shadow of a doubt, I know this is true. And it's true in my life. But am I a person of deep faith? Am I always a person of deep faith? This is what I want us to look at. And as I reflect on myself, perhaps you want to think about your own lives, of whether as a believer, you're always a person of deep faith. So we're going to look at this passage in Matthew, chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. If you have your Bibles, great, but I've, I'm going to read for you, and I've also got all the scripture behind me, so you can follow along, no problem at all. So we're going to start on verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. I think it's important to pause there and just sort of back up a little bit from this point in time in Scripture. When he dismissed them, he dismissed them from that moment in time in Scripture where Jesus and his disciples fed the 5,000. Do you remember throngs of people have came from villages and been following Jesus? Couldn't get enough of his teaching and his wisdom and listening to him. And finally, the, the disciples came to him and said, uh, Jesus, we have a problem. Like there are 5,000 men, we're told perhaps 10, 12,000 people, men, women, and child, children. And we have nothing. 
We don't even have food for us. All we have is sort of five loaves and two fish. So dismiss, send the crowds away. And Jesus says, bring me the food. And he blesses it and he hands it back to the disciples. And what do they do? They go through the crowds and they feed 12,000 people. And what do they do afterwards? They collect up what's left and we're told there's 12 baskets full. They've just witnessed this incredible miracle. And now Jesus sends them off as Jesus dismisses the crowd after they've eaten. And he goes to the mountainside to pray. Let's continue reading. During the fourth watch of the, high, of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. I'm told the fourth watch is sort of like just before dawn. And so we know from the previous verse that it was windy and kind of a bit of a nasty night. And so you imagine the disciples are in the boat and they see this form approaching to them. I don't know about you, but quite often when I read scripture and I see situations like that, and I almost put myself in that situation, I think, why they're so silly? Jesus is coming to them. What do you mean a ghost? I imagine myself kind of leaning over the gunnels. Hi, Jesus, it's me, Danny, hi. But imagine for them, they'd been in this boat, had been buffeted with waves and wind and everything else, and all of a sudden, sort of against the, sky, the, the, the night sky, they see this form. They see this silhouette coming. And impossibly, it, it must be floating over the water or something. They're terrified. And Jesus says, do not be afraid. Take courage. It is I. Lord, if it is you... Peter replied, how are we doing? We're we keeping up? Oh, thank you. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. This is the beginning of the point I want to make. They're all believers. They're all in the boat. They've all witnessed and walked with Jesus for months and now years. And they've seen him raise the dead back to life. They've seen him heal the sick. They've just themselves been involved in feeding 12,000 people with five loaves of bread. They call him Lord right here in the verse. They are believers without a doubt. But Jesus says, come, in reply to Peter. Now, this perhaps is a point where we have to ask ourselves, do we always have that same deep faith? The story doesn't lend itself to this, but I don't read of any disciples kind of scrambling to push Peter out of the way saying, me first, me first. They're all hugging the bottom of that boat. But Peter, a person of deep faith, trusts God's calling. See, for me, believing is a state of being as I've described to you. It's who I am. I believe in Jesus Christ. But deep faith is a state of acting, of taking, char- of, of taking action on when God calls. As we talk about making room for the king in our lives, do we have that inherent trust that he knows what is good for us? 
And can we respond to that call? You think for Peter he had a moment of doubt? I mean, I've never read in Scripture that they were recreational swimmers. You never hear about him practicing. He's here in this ugly, dark night. He's about to get out the side of a boat. It's his Lord Jesus, and he's trusting the call. But perhaps it crossed his mind to think, huh, as soon as I step over, right to the bottom. I'm wearing these heavy robes. It's not going to be good. But it didn't matter to Peter at this moment in time because his Lord Jesus was calling and he trusted that that was the right thing to do. If we were there instead of Peter, if I was there instead of Peter, would I have had the same reaction? Would I have so readily stepped out of the boat? I guess the first thing is, is I'd have to get over the denial of when I hear God calling in my life. Because he calls. He talks to me. He nudges me. He gives me scripture. He gives me the people in this room, believers, talking to me in ways that I know it is from God. There is no doubt. But at times, I prefer not to hear his voice. Has that ever happened to you? This is a small example of hearing him. Just a few weeks ago, I was uh, Saturday morning uh, doing my thing running. Uh, And I know it sounds odd, but I really enjoy Saturday mornings. I go for the entire morning. I'm north of the, the Highway 7. I'm on dirt roads. It's beautiful countryside. I listen to music, and I listen often to worship songs. And I'm sort of in this Zen place where I'm just in communion with them. I'm singing out loud, and I'm just loving it. And I'm praying. And I'd committed to pray for a couple about a specific thing. I said, I'm going to pray for you for this. And as I kept coming back to this prayer, Lord, I'm really, you know, I'm really asking if... And you know when you can't even finish a sentence? You're my, oh, look, a blue jay. Whew. I haven't seen one of those before. Oh, Lord, th- this couple really... I wonder if I'm going to see another blue jay. I wonder if I'm going to see more wildlife today. I wonder if I'm going to see some wild turkeys. I can tell Howard and Ryan about them. And I, and I, I said, Dan, Dan, come on, you, let, pray. And then this weird thing happened. I started praying completely in the opposite direction for this couple, but not at all what they had asked for prayer for. And it ended up being a really fulfilling, deep, meaningful conversation with God. And it was great. And when I got back the next day, I texted him to say, I got to tell you, this is going to sound super weird, but I was praying for you. I couldn't get it done. But the Lord kept telling me to pray in this area for you. I know you asked for blue, and I'm talking about trees, but that's just this overwhelming sense I had. And they said, well, that's the weirdest thing because that's what's happening to us. The subject's no longer about the color blue, it's about trees. And that's so fulfilling that you would tell us that. Well, God's talking to me and God's talking to them through me. I hear God's voice, but do I, like Peter, always step out in the void 
Because I trust in him. Can I give you a couple reasons why perhaps that is difficult to do? One is it pushes us out of our comfort zone. He's often asking us to do something that's not exactly in the lane that we're in. You know, we have our ways, we have our habits, we have our friends, we have our plans, we have our finances. You know, everything's kind of all okay and in balance. I don't need Jesus to push me out of that comfort zone sometimes. Remember the story of the young rich ruler, Matthew chapter 19? Young rich ruler approaches Jesus and says, Teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, now, I'm not going to say Jesus was sarcastic because he's perfect and was not sarcastic. But there was a tone. He said, what good thing? He said, there is only one good in the world. But then he goes on to say, well, follow all the commandments. And you can see the young ruler's like, yeah, I got that one. Yeah, I got that one. Great, I got that one. And then what does Jesus say? Oh, oh, wait, one more thing. Sell all your possessions, give it all the proceeds to the poor, and follow me. God's calling him to follow him. Remember Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, don't treasure things on earth where they're going to decay Treasure things in heaven. And the famous words that I always, always remember. Where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. And Jesus knows you can't, it's illogical to treasure something and say, but oh, my heart's over here. And Jesus recognizes that this young man treasures his wealth. And says, forget that. Treasure me. And the sad thing is, The young ruler walks away sadly, we're told. He knows, but he walks away sadly. I can't do it. I can't follow you. I can't give up my comfort. Maybe in another way, I could tell you a story about a family here within our church family, as Kevin referred to us this morning. Woken up one night, with this deep conviction that God was calling them to do something. Made no sense. They thought about it. They prayed about it. It really wasn't in their wheelhouse. It was really not part of their family plan. It was going to upset a lot of stuff. They prayed with their pastor. They prayed with friends. And finally they said, okay, Lord, here we go. We hear you. You are calling us. We are following in your footsteps that you've laid out for us. Has it been all smooth, beautiful ride? Nope. But they have this deep faith of trusting that when God calls, he knows what is best for them. And there they go. Maybe it's about giving up control. This might be more of a guy thing. And control is one of these nebulous things. It's not... It's not like we're just asked to sit on our hands and do nothing. God has made us with feet and arms and a brain and vocal cords and so on to act. But giving up control is slightly different. It's saying, Lord, you are in control. Whatever you want, let's go with that. And that's hard to do. 
Remember in scripture how Jesus called the apostles? He came up to Simon and Andrew, Simon who is now called Peter, brothers, and said, and they were throwing their nets, they were fishing. It doesn't prove Peter was a swimmer, by the way. They were only waist deep. They were throwing their nets, and Jesus said, come, follow me. And scripture says, they dropped their nets, followed Jesus. How about when he came up to James and John, two other brothers, who were in a boat fishing with their dad? He said, follow me. What was he saying to his disciples? I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. We're told James and John left their nets, their boat, their father. Followed Jesus. Talk about giving up control. Talk about just leaving it there. And just following. Don't know where this guy's going. But there's something about him. There's something godly about him. And we are following him. Another story from our church family many years ago. A young couple with their first child. Many of us have been through a first child. How exciting and nerve-wracking and exhausting and all those emotions that happen. This first child had physical issues. A lot of physical issues. And it was difficult. And it was not easily diagnosed. And it was hard to figure out. And I remember Jerry and I there praying with them as part of a small group. And I remember being in awe of their prayer week after week after week, because this went on for a long time, just saying, Lord, you're in control. You got this. Tell us what to do. We will follow you. They had a peace about them. They had this deep faith and trust that God knew what he was doing. And that was okay by them. We had small children. I was freaking out. It's like, no, but, you know, I need plan A, B, C, D. We'll pray, God, come in. I got A and B, I got pretty good. I need your help on C and E. Come and join me. But that's not how God calls us. Giving up control is not easy. Trusting in God, making way for him in our lives is profound. Let's go on. So now we know that Peter's gone over the board, overboard, right? He got out of the boat, walked on water. When he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why do you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him. Truly, you are the Son of God. Well, he stepped out. It was all good right off the first step. He was walking on water. But what happened? Life. He looked left. He looked right. It wasn't so easy anymore. It was dark. The wind. You can imagine he's getting wet. My goodness. What is going on? This passage is often used to refer to Peter as having little faith. That Jesus is admonishing him. He's rebuking him for saying, ye of little faith. That phrase we see in the Bible, we see it. Remember when all the disciples and Jesus are in the boat? It was another crazy night. And what's Jesus doing? 
sleeping. And they wake him up saying, um, it's not good. We've got to do something. And he says to them, ye of little faith. In Greek, that whole phrase is actually one word, little faith. It just describes not having enough faith. When I read the scripture, it's not a rebuke. It's an encouragement. It's Jesus saying to Peter, have faith. Have faith. It's almost as if he's saying, hey, hey, eyes up front right here. I got you. When Peter called out, what do we read? That Jesus immediately reached out to save him. Jesus saying, just keep coming. You know, um, sorry, I just had another thought. When he's calling him like that, is it a rebuke or encouraging him to keep coming? You know, Paul's words in Hebrew, chapter 12, 2, I think. What does it say? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he's the author and perfecter of our faith. Eyes up front. Don't worry, I got you. This isn't the story of the great pumpkin. Do you remember the, the Charlie Brown Halloween story? Do you remember when Linus is in the pumpkin patch? I see a lot of glazed eyes. I think... <laughs> Am I the only one who watches Charlie Brown? (laughs) They're in the pumpkin patch. Linus is waiting for the great pumpkin to rise. Who comes and joins him? Sally. Of course, Sally, because she's in love with Linus and just wants to hang out with him. And she's talking about all sorts of stuff. But Linus is waiting for the great pumpkin to rise. And you have to be confident that that will happen. And in the middle of the evening and so on, Linus has this little slip. And he says to Sally, if he rises. And you remember, he said, oh, no, no, no. No, when, 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 when. There's no doubt when he rises. And then he hangs his head and he says, I've ruined it. He won't rise now. I had that little bit of doubt. That is not the Jesus we serve. He knows who we are. He knows we have highs and lows in our faith of following him, of following his calling. But he never fails. His love never fails. He's always there. Eyes up front. Keep coming. Keep coming. Have faith. I am who I said I am. Just keep coming. A few weeks ago, March break, uh, I had a great time taking my oldest grandson, to see a matinee. We went to see Rascal Roger Rabbit. Peter Rabbit? Peter Rabbit. (laughs) It was meaningful. (laughs) Rascal Peter Rabbit. And he was excited. And so I got in the car, got him in the car, and we're driving to theater. And if you know Isaac, when he's excited, well, he was talking quite a bit. And he's in the back seat, and he's asking me all these questions. Like, Papa, have you ever been to a movie? Is it going to be fun? Are there going to be lots of people? Is he a real rabbit? Why is he called Peter? Does he have parents? Like, on and on and on. We're going to Landmark Whitby. We park in the, in the parking lot. If you've been to Landmark Whitby, it's like a huge area there of all sorts of stores. And March break was really busy. And so I get out of the car. I come around to open his side and kind of get him out. When I open the door... He was still talking. He, he hadn't noticed that I'd left the car. 
And I unbuckled him out of his, his car seat and so on. I got him. And, uh, you know, we were coming alongside the edge of the car. And one thing happened that just warmed my heart so much. And I thought of this when I thought of this morning. Because all of a sudden, as he continued to talk, didn't break stride, all of a sudden this little green-gloved hand, he wears a red and green glove, don't ask me why, this little green-gloved hand took my hand. It was just an automatic. He just reached up and grabbed my hand. And I thought, he's okay now, he's safe. He trusts that I'm not going to walk us into a situation that's going to be dangerous or cars. As soon as he had my hand, he was good to go. And he never stopped talking. (laughs) And when I think of Jesus, when Jesus says we need to have faith like a child, I think of that moment. That inherent trust of knowing that he knows better, that he's got it, and that when I follow his calling, it's going to be okay. You know what else I like in this story? Is it's not like Peter just went and got a ham sandwich, okay? He walked on water. Okay, he walked on water. It's incredible. It's an amazing miracle. As John Ortberg's book says, if you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. And when we look at Scripture, we look at all the people in Scripture, we tend to, to put people in Scripture almost at the same level as God himself. They're just broken, regular people like you and I. But when they follow God's call, incredible things happen. Think of Moses. Moses, who led the people. Moses couldn't even talk. He needed Aaron by his side to be a spokesperson because he couldn't get out a sentence. And yet, there he was in front of the Pharaoh. There he was leading all his people. How about David? I mean, David, the courageous, incredible kid who took on an entire giant that a whole army was afraid of. He followed Jesus' call, said, okay. Now, David was a great king, but was David perfect? Not if you've read scripture. He had a messed up life, just like you and I. You go through the list. Elijah, we don't know anything about Elijah except that he was a Tishbite. Did he follow God's call? He went and sat by a brook for three years, fed by ravens. Is that crazy enough? Was Elijah great? He raised people from the dead. He raised a child from the dead. He took on Ahab and Jezebel and their god Baal. He embarrassed them. And God's name was glorified and sanctified with what he did. He keep going through scripture. Peter. Now we always talk about Peter being this great apostle and everything else. And if you're familiar with the Catholic Church, of course, they believe Peter was the first pope. Peter was this impetuous guy. If something needed to be said, I'll give him credit, Peter would say it. If there was a time when everybody's supposed to be quiet, Peter would speak up anyway. Peter's the guy who cut off the centurion's ear. Peter's the guy who said to Jesus, I would never deny you. No matter what happens to you, I'm going to be by your side. Jesus says, no, 
You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. By the way, that's scripture. Rooster crows? I didn't get that, but anyway. And what does Peter do? He denies Jesus three times. Peter's the guy who argued with the Apostle Paul. Why? Because he thought Paul was bringing the Gentiles a little too close to them. What are you doing bringing all these people into our faith? How about Paul? Wow, talk about messed up. But he followed God's call. He made room and way for Christ in his life. And mighty things happened. And the best part of all, of all this, how do they end this crazy night, this incredible evening, this incredible series of of feeding 12,000 people and seeing Jesus walk on water and Peter walking on water and all this, we read that together they worshipped him and called him, truly you are the son of God. Well, it brings us back to Palm Sunday. It brings us back to a time when we do celebrate this notion of a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But it's a bit of a mixed thing for us, correct? Because he didn't become a physical king. He became an eternal king. He became your king and mine. And we need to make room for him in our lives. I'm the first to stand before you to say, i got to stop denying when I hear him. I need to trust him. Like others' examples that I've given you here in this church that I watch you in awe as you follow that call, not knowing where it's going to go. It's going to be stormy. There's going to be waves. It might get ugly. But it's his idea. And as Isaac and his little hand in mine reminded me of, it's good enough. I'm going to be safe. I'm going to be okay because it's his idea. I just wish you a good week. I know physically it wasn't necessarily a week in Scripture, but for us we think of it that way. Take a moment to think about the impact of what this meant to Jesus, the weight of the world, the suffering, the humiliation, and everything else. Take a moment to let that sink in on you because it's going to make next Sunday that much more spectacular. Amen.